Amen. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is the second part of our message on faithfulness in a series that we've been going through for quite a while called Changed. It's what God does in us when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was on the 21st of June that we looked at this passage. And then the Sunday after that, we had Report Back Sunday from our student mission trip and our Costa Rica mission trip. Whoop, whoop. All right, it was awesome Sunday. And then we took two Sundays to address uh, the Supreme Court decision relating to same-sex marriage the first week was on what the Bible actually teaches about sexuality. And the week after that was how we as followers of Jesus should respond to those issues. Uh, what we should do, what we should not do, the attitudes that we should have, the attitudes we should not have, and what's actually coming down the pipe in our culture relating to church ministry, missions, preaching, uh, and the gospel as it relates to that issue. So if you weren't here the last two weeks, those you can check out the um, the PDS. We have everything that was said is documented there if you want to go do more research. Um, if you are with us and you're not convinced uh, that the Bible does speak to those issues as the way that were, was presented here, we would love to dialogue with you about that. Um, if you bring differing views, if you have questions about even if the Bible's true, we are so glad that you're here. Amen, church? Uh, and we would seriously, and, and we don't, we don't just say this. We would, I, I would love to sit down, um, with you and be able to talk through those issues, um, because we believe that God is a God of truth and we don't have to browbeat people with the truth. We don't have to use shady methods to get you to the truth. We believe that, the, we believe that the truth of God's word is persuasive in its own right if we come with an open heart saying, I want to follow the evidence wherever it leads. All right. So that's kind of what we did in between one and two. And I've never preached a message, a second part message and taken basically a month in between. So what we're going to do is kind of do a little bit of review other than the scholars here who remembered everything about uh, the sermon a month ago. So Hebrews chapter 12, we're talking about faithfulness. And if you want to make a note in your Bible, Galatians chapter five in verse 22 says that one of the things that God produces in us when we become a follower of Jesus, when we not just come to church, not just when we give, but when we truly give our heart and our life to Christ, he begins to create things in us that have never been there before. And if you're a person who has virtues, you you work hard, you're honest, uh, most of the time. And, and what will happen is even those virtues that may be in your life, God will begin to direct those in such a way that your honesty doesn't just benefit you and your relationships, sort of like this. For some of us, we, we were told when we're children, uh, you know, you need to be a man, a woman of your word. You need to be honest. You need to look people in the eye. You hold the door open for people. You do all of those things. And what some of us have found is that when we're not a jerk to other people, it benefits us, right? I mean, people, people frequent your business. They say, you know what? I could have spent a lot more money, but he or she who works for that business actually helped me find the best deal when it really didn't even benefit them. And what you found is that a good name, the book of Proverbs, is rather to be chosen than great riches. 
And even for a person who's never been truly born again, we can see the virtues of the Bible. And those virtues, if we've practiced those, at least outwardly, we are benefited either relationally or financially. But here's the difference. When you get saved... Those virtues or those character qualities that may have been there all along, God begins to make those what they truly should be as rooted in Jesus. You see the difference? We're not saying that you can't be a nice person if you're lost. We're not saying that Christians are the only nice people. In fact, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians that are super jerks. Can I get a witness? Right, like that guy and that girl, you know, they read the book of Revelation every single day and they want to tell you that you're not spiritual because you don't do exactly what they do. Like we've all met those people. So we're not saying that you have to be saved in order to be a nice, polite person. But what we're saying is that when you get born again, we realize that the point of life is not just about having character or being a hard worker or an honest, nice person. But we want to be like Jesus, not so that we can get relational and financial benefits, but so that when people see our niceness, when they see our honesty, it points to Jesus. You see, that's the difference. Christian virtue is rooted in the nature of God, rooted in who Jesus is, whereas worldly just character is rooted about how much we can benefit based on our good behavior. And the difference between Christian virtue and just worldly niceness, the difference is absolutely night and day. So what we're talking about here this morning is a faithfulness that comes from God that is rooted in who he is and it's pointed straight for Jesus Christ. So with those thoughts in mind to kind of lay the groundwork, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every Wait, and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run. That's cool. The Christian life is active. Let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Now, verse 3 is actually a part of that paragraph in the Greek New Testament, although many English Bibles make a paragraph break from verse 1 and 2. So let's read verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, the Bible goes to Jesus in relation to faithfulness. Here's a, a, a note that I'd like you to write down if you're taking notes. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. The Bible says, We are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's a mouthful. And here is, relating to that and relating to Hebrews chapter 12, here honestly is the challenge that a lot of us feel once we get saved, once we start walking with Jesus. You see somebody that you think is really awesome. 
You find somebody and it seems like they know the Bible. They know how to answer questions. It seems like they, it seems like they've got it. It seems like they've got it together. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with the feeling of inferiority. And it's kind of like this. We say, man, I know I'm guilty before God. But if that person judged me, I think I'd be guilty to them too. Because they seem like they have it all together. Now, if you've been in church for a while, how many of you have heard of the missionary Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott, okay. 1950s. 1950s. He and another group of guys went into an area of the South American jungle and they started doing outreach, you could say, with tribes, Stone Age tribes, if you will, who had never heard the gospel. They would actually speak to them with a loudspeaker out of a helicopter. And these were, these were Indians whose entire theology and entire life was built on the premise of the more people that you kill, the better it's going to be for you the next go around. Very, very dangerous group of people. Well, some of you know the story. Jim Elliott and those guys were able to land and they were able to do a little bit of contact with the Aka Indians. And in, in 1956, Jim Elliott and a couple of other godly men lost their lives serving Jesus Christ. In fact, they had guns. If you, if you read the memoirs, they, they had, they had guns, a protection from animals or whatever, but in a very curious Decision. they decided not to use those guns to defend themselves, but rather to go into the presence of Jesus, a martyr, having laid down their lives so that these people could hear the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, ladies, put yourself in that position. Your wife, I mean your husband, called by God, could have done anything he wanted, but felt called to go to a group of people who are extremely, extremely violent, loses his life. You hear that news, you're crushed, you're heartbroken. And what does she do? She goes back. Can you imagine that? Imagine, imagine being the Aka Indians. That the only modus operandi you knew was kill or be killed. And you killed the guys who came, but yet there's another lady who comes and you find out that she is the wife of the man that you killed and she comes with the message of Jesus Christ, which is God loves you. Today, that tribe has almost all converted to being followers of Jesus Christ. But how many of you have heard of Jim Elliott's brother, Bert? Anybody heard of Bert? Not Bert and Ernie? Okay, you heard, good job, Judy. His brother, Bert, there was an article that came out in the Gospel Coalition about his brother, Bert, that had gone to that same area of the world, uh, invited by a missionary. And see, Bert was not like Jim. He was very laid back, very methodical. And Bert ended up in his lifetime planning over 160 indigenous churches in the jungles of South America. But how many of you guys have heard of Bert? Honestly, I had not before the article. And he described, he says, Jim, my brother, he said he was like a, a shooting star. Very short life, very visible. Everybody know. I mean, if you've been around church, been around followers of Christ, I mean, you've heard of Jim Elliott. He says, Jim was like a shooting star, but he said, others of us, that is not God's plan for us. And sometimes when we, when we get saved, when we start following Jesus, we can compare ourselves to other people when God says, I want you to be faithful in what I've called you to be. For some of you, it may be that God, just the, the personality that he's given you, you may be an upfront type of person. You may be the type where it seems like wherever you go, people, it's like people notice when you come in the room, you gather a following. People, when you speak, they listen. But for some of us, 
God's plan is for us to be like Bert in the boringness of everyday life, in the jobs and the ministries to where it doesn't seem like anybody notices, but day in and day out, the boringness of faithfulness, it brings glory to God. It's been said that we're not called to be successful, but we're called to be faithful. And listen, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, when you are faithful, you are successful. And when the Bible speaks about the sufferings of Christ and the endurance of Christ and the faithfulness of Christ in Hebrews chapter 12, we back up just a few verses in verse 30, 35 of chapter 11. And it says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And it gives this whole picture of these people who've done amazing things for God. But then it says in verse 36 that others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. How many of you want a sheep goat shirt lately? It's all they had. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, the Bible presents us with a very realistic picture of the Christian life. It seems like God raises up some people and they are great conquerors for the name of Jesus. Everybody knows what they've done for God. Not because they're being ignorant. Not because they're being all about themselves saying, look what I did. But it's just what God has for them. And for some of us, we serve Jesus Christ in our families, in our jobs, and what seems like obscurity and maybe even persecution. And it says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the question today. Um, is there something in your life that could be categorized as a weight that is keeping you from following Jesus? For a lot of people, the idea of guilt and shame keeps so many people from coming to Christ. Over embarrassing sins. Like things that we did in the past and it seems like every time when the gospel is given, it seems like every time when we have an opportunity to step forward and get out of our comfort zones and follow Christ or to lead our families, it seems like we our mind goes back to what we did. And I've known of so many people and it's the guilt and the shame, man. It's just like a crushing weight of guilt. And I think for many of us, when we're called to follow Jesus Christ, we don't think of the power of God. Our first reaction is not, man, God, he raised Jesus from the dead. He's done miracle after miracle. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what do we go to? We go to what happened in the past. And often Satan will use that and say, really? (laughs) You think that God could call you to be on a mission trip? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Like, do you remember what you did? Do you know who you are? And the Bible here says to lay aside every weight For some of us, it may be fear of other people. Some of us may just be lazy. Some of us may have an attitude of rebellion to say, you know what, I'll serve Jesus, but I'm not going to let anybody else tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. You see, here's the difference in the Christian life as opposed to moralism. Moralism is a false religion that says our lives are all about stopping the bad things and starting the good things. Where the Bible says, lay aside these sins, lay aside these weights so that we can run. 
You see, some people think that the Christian life is basically, I've got to not do these things. I've got to live my life in fear of sin. I've got to be so careful because if I don't, I'm going to start sinning. Isn't that a miserable existence? It's kind of like we, we get our safe full of gospel guns. We develop a, some type of an underground cavern. We've got our friends. We've got our people who believe exactly like us. And we huddle together so that we don't do something wrong. But you see, the Christian life is one of activity to where we follow Christ, where we run. So the question for us when we deal with weights or with sins is not, is this something that I shouldn't do? But man, how, how does this help me run? How does this push me to be more like Jesus Christ? You know, for some of us, the reason why we still carry around weights, why we still carry around sins, is because maybe, do you think it could be that for some of us, The scariness of the new, the scariness of freedom, the scariness of not allowing ourselves to be defined by what happened to us may be what keeps us in the comfortability of the miserable. You know, for some of us, if we really get honest and we look at Scripture and you say, why is it that I keep carrying around these weights and carrying around these sins? I know for some people, they say, Jeff, I I would follow Christ. I would give my life to Jesus. But I am terrified of people. I am terrified to be in front of people and be baptized because they may see what my hair looks like when I get out of the shower. A fear of people. Some of us, we may have a fear of what people think. You know what? Say, Jeff, I I, want to get saved. But man, when you get the invitation in that church, like walking down in front of all those people, they're going to notice me. You see, some of us, we say, I I, I don't want to do this because I'm comfortable in my fear. You think it very well could be that some of us are like the elephant. You know, they say the way you keep an elephant uh, tied down is when he's a little elephant, you tie a rope or a chain around his foot. And you put that to a stump or something you drive into the ground and the little elephant can't pull it out. And the elephant grows bigger, stronger, older, and it still won't try it because it didn't work when it was smaller. The elephant doesn't realize its own strength. And for some people today, we say, well, I'm just comfortable in my misery. If that's you and you've been dragging around weights been dragging around sins and you know what's right you know what god is calling you to do for the glory of god take that and lay it aside put on your running shoes for christ and begin the race amen because time uh, time is growing time is growing short here's a reference in genesis chapter 4 verse 7 when god was talking to cain and he said sin is crouching at the door its desire is for you but you must rule over it you see when the bible talks about sin that so easily entangles when you when you look at what god was saying to cain before he made this crazy big what we call the first murder the first sin we say you know what those are the types of things that may tempt some people but for some of us it's not those quote-unquote really crazy wicked things that keep us weighted down but you know what it is it's priorities that are simply out of order Remember in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus was giving the parable of the seeds and the sower? And the sower was sowing the seed on all sorts of different ground. There was the grounds where the birds quickly ate up the seed. He said that's Satan planting ideas in people's minds that caused them not to believe the word of God. Then there was another type of soil and it was very, very shallow. It was very rocky and the seed quickly sprang up, but then it didn't have any depth. So it burned up by the sun. And Jesus said, those are those who with joy respond quickly. 
talking about an emotional decision. But there was another type of soil. It was good soil. The seed took deep root. It began to produce fruit. But then he said that the thorns began to choke out the plant. And he says it is the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. And I think for a lot of people, especially if you come to a church, it may not be those quote-unquote huge sins that we think categorize in our culture, but it could be the idolatry of misplaced priorities to where the Word of God, to where prayer, to where uh, coming to hear the Word of God at church becomes such a low priority on the totem pole that everything else gets bumped in our life except for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gets bumped first. We were bowling on Friday night. We, uh, Paul noticed something very important about bowling. In order to get the ones in the back, you have to hit the ones in the front. And for some of us, if y'all realize that in bowling, some of y'all that are like 20 bowlers, all right. It was a very simple observation. I said, Paul, there's a good, there's a good illustration in there. And I think, you know, in relation to running our race, being faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ, Again, it's not that some of us need to repent of being practicing Satanist in the church of Satan with Anton LaVey. It's that our priorities are jacked up. And we say, man, why can't I get things rolling? It's because the priorities are not where they should be. And the Bible says that the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, you don't have to try to get tangled up in sin, do you? It's something that's just simply there. It's a part of who we are. And that is why Jesus Christ, as we're going to see in just a few moments, is the one who delivers from guilt and shame. And he's the one who delivers from addictions and weights. Notice that it says, looking to Jesus in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Let us, previous, let us run the race with endurance. Let us run the race with endurance. You know, I've talked to some people and they say, well, Jeff, I know that I I should live for Jesus Christ, man. But the world is just so wicked and crazy. I mean, I don't even know if the world's going to be around another 20 years. Single people say, I don't know if it's going to be a point where I'm going to be able to find somebody to marry and have a family with before everything crashes and burns. My mom told me back in the 50s, they would do, uh, for those of you that are of that generation, they would do nuke drills in the school. In the school. Like if the Russians started dropping the big ones, what did you do? You got under your desk. I mean, can can you imagine that today? Training the children. If something, if you see a glow on the horizon, get under your desk. I mean, as a child, it was realistic. The threat was real. But imagine, imagine, she, she said, Jeff, I, I, I was, you know, there's a nuclear threat, the Cold War, and I was a teenager in the 60s, and all, it was like all the guys I knew, they were all doing drugs, and they were just losing their minds, and I was like, there's no good guys out there. I mean, I may as well just be a missionary for the Lord, and, and, and you know, she was the first one in her family who really came to the Lord, and she, you know, like browbeat her sisters, and she got people to give them a ride like as a kid, and she's, she's still strong for the Lord, Amen. Applied the Board of Education growing up. And, and, and she said, you know, growing up in that time, I didn't know if the world would last. And I've talked to parents today, and they're like, you know what? I don't know if I'm supposed to bring a child into this world. But listen, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Let's be faithful. Amen? 
Like as long as God has us here to run the race, let's be faithful. Don't let the evil in the world keep you from pursuing having a family. Don't let the evil in the world cause you to get down in a bunker. Because I think it's such a cool opportunity that we have in our culture. The darker our culture grows, the more you're going to be able to see the light. I mean, the more our culture grows away from God, the more crazy, and rebels track with me, the more countercultural it is. For those of you that like to stick it to the man and you've got issues with authority, the more radical it will be for you to show up at a place like this. It will grow increasingly less well, you should be a good, good guy, good girl. You should, you should go to church. That's what good people do. But it will, in America, increasingly grow to the point to where the gospel of Jesus will be considered uh, countercultural. You say, well, Jeff, how do I, how do I get endurance? Well, it comes from Christ. It comes from faith in Christ. And then when we get saved, there is a verse in 1 Timothy 4, 7 that says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It means begin to arrange the priorities in your life that they feed your relationship with Jesus Christ as opposed to take it away. So the question for some of us may be, what needs to change in regards to priorities in our life? We don't gain salvation by having the right priorities, but what we do once we get saved is we say, man, I have a race to run. I'm not becoming a legalist, but I'm asking the question, does this fill in the blank does it help me run my unforgiveness that i can't seem to get over does it help me run or is it a weight addictions that i may have that i don't want to have is it helping me run no so therefore we pursue anything that will help us be free from what holds us back from jesus christ and then here's where it gets really really good verse 2 looking to jesus the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, when we look to Jesus, we don't have to worry about comparison with other people. Amen? When we, you see, when we look at Jesus, we see what we should see. We see what we should be. We see in Jesus, boy, I could never be what I should be, but we see in Jesus the arms of mercy and grace. And in Jesus, we don't just see an example. We see that Jesus is willing and able to save. In fact, those of you who say, Jeff, I have got more weights on my shoulders. I have stress upon stress upon stress. I can't even think straight. When I try to go to bed at night, my thoughts continue to run and the what ifs begin to spill over. So I can't even sleep. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Weary. And heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, it's when we begin to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, that gives us the inspiration and the fire to serve Him. And here's what Jesus did. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The cross was not something that was joyful, but Jesus looked on the other side of the suffering. And for our walk with Jesus Christ, the everyday and the in and out, we come against things that are horrifically difficult. Family drama. Getting fired from your job. Not being able to make ends meet. But to look beyond the suffering and to say, God is sovereign. He has allowed these things into my life so that something good may come to his glory. And notice what it says. He was despising the shame. 
It was a shameful thing to be crucified because you were exposed naked in front of everyone. Can you imagine that? Not just a closed door execution, but a public humiliation. You see, the Romans were not like, we're not just going to give you a quick death. We're going to make it slow. And then as we're making it slow, we will end your life with complete and utter humiliation. But yet Jesus embraced that. You see, Jesus reversed the cultural understanding of shame. For some of us, we are tempted with being ashamed that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. People will try to press us and they'll say, we've noticed you've been going to church lately. And especially if you have somebody in your family that's bitter at you. I've heard people say, you know, I've had family members say, you know, your, your, your relationship with Jesus, you're going to church. You, you must think that you're better than all of us. You will be pressed. You will be sometimes persecuted. But listen, don't give in for the glory of Jesus Christ because you're on a race. You're running a race to be like Jesus. Now imagine this. You're cutting your grass. You got somebody who pulls up. And they just say, roll down the window. They say, run, 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 run. You're like, do they have a gun? I mean, most of y'all be cutting grass, packing anyway. So you may say, you're going to run, right? And, it, and it's just, it throws everything off. You think, what on earth has this person been smoking? I mean, what? And they just begin to say, run, run, run. That's what lost people hear if they don't understand the gospel. When we say, serve Jesus, serve Jesus, serve Jesus, they say, I didn't know I was in a race. The only race that a person is in who doesn't know Jesus is the race to get to first place for Jeff. Right? That's that's the race. So here's the thing. When you get saved, you realize that there's actually a race. That life is a race. It's not for us to beat other people, but it is the one Go back to verse 1, the latter half. Let us run with endurance. This is huge. The race that is set before us. You ever wondered why you were born in the time that you were born and not maybe an earlier time? It's funny, the older people that you talk who are older, they've got the good old days, right? And younger people talk about the good old days when video games were Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers. And he talked to some of the older people. They say the older people in my day when I was a little kid said that the good old days were previous to them. Here's the reason why God established every single one of us in the time that he did. Because he wanted to make much of his glory through your life in this time. And the good old days don't have to be a nostalgic American cultural item. But the good old days can be when you... Begin to follow Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 3. Here's the reason why the scripture says we are to focus on Jesus. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Here's the hook. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Listen, when you follow Christ, when you begin to to develop biblical disciplines in your life and you come across things that could cause you to want to be unfaithful, to say, Jeff, I just don't want to go to church, man. I just don't want to, I don't want to serve the Lord. I don't want to pray. I just feel like rolling up in the bed and staying there for a couple of weeks. Well, for some of us, if you overwork yourself, the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is take a nap. 
Because even Jesus rested. There were even times where Jesus was emotionally exhausted. And he tried to find a place alone. But here's the point that I want us to take away. When we come against walls. When we come against things that would strip our commitment to be faithful to Jesus. Consider Jesus. It doesn't mean just consider him as a possibility. It means to focus on him. It means to train your mind on him. To say, you know what? I've had a rough day. But Jesus had a rougher day. And not just that, but Jesus has promised to give me the strength to endure. Not only that, people have been lying about me. People have been persecuting me. People have been gossiping about me. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was gossiped about. You see, my my family doesn't appreciate me. I do the dishes. I cook. I go to work. I do this. I clean the floors. I feed our demon-possessed cat. I don't ever get any, I don't ever get any thank you from anybody. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody realizes that if I didn't do the job on my job, then the whole thing would go down the tubes. Listen, Jesus was not appreciated. His family thought he was nuts. When he began his ministry, they came and they were like, somebody, somebody talk to the carpenter and bring the carpenter back. Like he doesn't remember who he is. But you see, even his physical family never realized who he was. When we come against opposition and discouragement, we focus our mind on Jesus Christ. And it's not one of these things to say, well, I'm having a bad day, but Jesus was killed on the cross. He was having the worst day. It's not that idea of, well, he suffered more than I do, so my pain doesn't matter. But it's focusing on the power of God to say, you know what? Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the shame. And not only that, the power of God raised him from the dead. Amen? You see, when we put Jesus as the center of our faith, he, we have the power to endure. We have the power to continue. And even if our calling in life is not like Jim Elliott, and even if people don't notice what you do for your family and what you do for Jesus Christ, the point is that we are to be faithful. The Bible says, focus on him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And it may very well be that some of you that have experienced difficult things, a family member dies, sickness, job loss, whatever it may be, that you've grown weary and you've grown faint-hearted. May it be that today you come in the arms of Jesus Christ and you experience his mercy. Cry to him, confess to him, plead with him. And you will experience what Jesus promises, which is that endurance to continue no matter what we may face.